Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Imagine you're crawling in a 100-year-old mining tunnel with a dodgy torch and silent blackness all around. This was what Sergeant Peter Buda Anderson did. He crawled 70 metres under Ballarat's Black Hill Reserve, hunting a serial sex offender who'd kidnapped a 16-year-old girl. Buddha spent most of his time in uniform in Victoria's western districts of Ararat, Ballarat and Buninyong. He's been officially recognised with a bravery award for his courage and determination that day in November 1998. Hi Buddha, and welcome to The Crime Couch. Thanks very much, Rochelle. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. First things first, Buddha, how did you get your nickname? Um, I think it dates back to about 1983 or 1984 when I was up at Ararat. I was a very junior constable and I was actually on the bottom of the roster for about two years. And I think it was just everybody started calling me Boots because I was on the bottom of the roster. And uh, it went from there and it stuck ever since. I've had it ever since. It's more from Boots to Buddha. But some people call me Boots and some people call me Buddha. Yeah, I answer to both. <laughs> Okay, Buddha. Now, let's go back to The Missing Girl in November 27, 1998. How did you hear about this missing girl? Well, it came to my notice when I started work at 7am on a Saturday morning in November. It was actually the last day of work before I started holidays. Um, and uh, I was very excited. I was heading up into the Mallee uh, later that day to um, help with the harvest and uh, drive a header for three weeks and all I had to do was get through an eight-hour shift and I walked in the door and it was chaos and it was essentially this this investigation. So Buddha, lots of kids go missing. I mean, you hear about this all the time. What stood out for you and for Vicpol about this particular case? I think, um, and it's a long time ago and a lot of people probably wouldn't immediately connect this, but... It was a period of time where we'd had a couple of unexplained... Um, there was a murder. There was a girl found out on a, on a country road north of Ballarat. Uh, and there was another girl in a creek in the north part, around Narina, just to the north of Ballarat. And those events had happened in within a month or two of this occurring. And to be honest, there was a sort of a feeling of, you know, exactly what are we dealing with here? You know, is it linked? Are they linked in some way? And in the end, they weren't. Um, but there was certainly a feeling when this when this girl went missing, you know, what are we dealing with here? Is this like a continuation of these, of these events that at that time were unsolved? And it's a bit of a police predilection, isn't it, almost, that police do see, well, you've got to see if there's a link. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was in the background. It was probably on everyone's mind. And I think, you know, in the end, it was 
certainly to the benefit um, of the victim, uh, that everybody just had this edge. You know, it was like, we've really got to sort this one out. We've got to find find this girl. Um, you know, there was a, I wouldn't say an edge of desperation, but there was certainly a, a, level, a heightened level that things weren't right in the, in the city at that particular time. The 16-year-old girl that went missing, just recount your sort of memories and what you knew of her. How would you describe her? I think she was described at the time as a bit of a loner. She didn't easily make friends, according to her mum, and um, she was a girl of fairly standard habits. So obviously when um, she didn't turn up home the day before on the Friday... Mum was alarmed immediately because it was just totally out of character for this for this young girl. So mum reported her missing? Yes, she did. So mum had arranged to collect her following a meeting with uh, the male that turned out to be Mr Pitt. And when she failed to meet mum at one of our local shopping centres in Ballarat, mum was immediately alarmed. But... I think as people would be inclined to do, she left it for some time, you know, in the hope that she wasn't overreacting. And so it was quite late in the evening before she actually, you know, went to that next step and reported it to police. When did this serial sex offender, Anthony James Pitt, formerly Leslie Norman Pitt, come onto your radar? Well, he came onto my radar when I, when I spotted him uh, in the mine, but... He wasn't really on our radar at all, locally. Um, he had come into town sometime previously, um, and until this event occurred, really he was, he was not known. You know, he, he was not a, a, a threat or a concern locally. Yep. How would you describe Anthony James Pitt? Well, he's probably the, the stereotypical pedophile, um, when one thinks about that, if you could, if there is such a thing, um, just his habits and his patterns, and his previous um, history, uh, just indicate him as a as a very high risk type of offender. Yep. And yet, it's interesting that he remained in the area, but didn't come to anyone's attention. No, but I think that's part of the pattern. Sometimes of these people, I think he was well and truly schooled in the arts of. Uh, being a low-profile, low small-target type person. Yep. That immediately makes me believe that he possibly had priors. Did he have priors for sex crimes with minors? Uh, yes, he did. Um, there was some stuff dating back quite a ways that certainly, not necessarily sex with minors, but certainly um, that he was different, you know, that uh, his sexual proclivities were different, were not normal, yep. And was he someone that was, like, was he a bit of a vagabond or itinerant? Like, how did he sort of earn his money and, and and you know, how did he go about um, placing himself in, in these regional areas? Um, he was born and bred in the Western Districts. Uh, well, in the Wimmera, really. He was a Wimmera born and bred person. Um, he was sort of a, I would describe him probably as an odd, odd job type person. I don't think he's ever held a real career uh, in his life. Um, yeah, and just moved around under the radar, really, around rural parts of Victoria. Yep. 
Was he on benefits? Uh, look, I can't recall, but I would suggest, um, given you know that he had no real means of support that was obvious to us, I'd suggest yes. Yep. Buddha, how did you link him to this missing 16-year-old girl? Well, he befriended her over a period of time at this local, at Central Square in the middle of Ballarat, a local shopping centre. I don't know originally. I think he's probably, again, schooled in the arts, in the fine arts of what he did. I think he's probably singled her out because he spotted her alone, I would suggest. Um, and he sat down probably one day, you know, a few days previously and just struck up a conversation. And I would say he's probably watched her movements for some time, although that's, you know, that's conjecture. But I, I'd suggest given the pattern of how he, how he met her, I'd suggest that's probably what occurred. So he struck up conversations with her, met her a couple of consecutive days, relaxed her, and it was then that he made his job offer to her, his advance of a, of a job, and gave her a business card. Okay, what what job offer did he did he give her? Well, he was he he purported to be a jewellery maker and a collector of seeds, and uh, had an interest in in wild garlic and other plants. And uh, the job offer was basically, um, I'd like you to come with me and help me make jewellery and help me um, go into this area I've found and collect seeds, basically, yeah. And I suppose to a fairly young, naive 16-year-old girl getting an attention from an older male that appears to be friendly, it's all part of the grooming, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's, look, just classic grooming behaviours um, and in hindsight, just so obvious. Um, but of course, no one knew. Like, she obviously hasn't advertised this friendship and yeah so he's relaxed her gained her trust through his you know through his ways and uh it's gone from there part of the locating of a missing person and particularly a missing teenage girl i'd imagine you'd be searching everywhere and when you searched her bedroom what actually did you find um there was nothing really out of out of character if you like in the room but this business card was the key to everything mum identified the business card as this card that he'd given her and it had um, I believe a false name it wasn't his name but it was his phone number the phone number of the address he was living at and that was the trigger to kick on the investigation and it really stepped up a layer once uh, once we had that card yeah, there was a, a member who's now a senior sergeant down in Geelong who did some very fine work that evening, actually. He, I think, probably was key to realising just how serious this was and he alerted the CI and they too, you know, obviously. From the story, from Mum's account of what had occurred, it was pretty well accepted that it was definitely out of character and this wasn't just... the You know, there's a... A propensity maybe to sort of say, oh, look, it's Friday night, she's a young girl, 16-year-old girl, she's with her friends, you know, no panic. But it wasn't right. You know, it was everybody who came upon the story felt the same way, that this wasn't routine. 
Well, see, a lot of detectives and very good police investigators talk about that. It's a spider sense. Yes, I would agree with that. Yep, very much so. And certainly um, uh, the member who, you know, identified that card as being key and went to the detectives and said, look, this is, you know, we need to get right on this. This is not right. Um, they all had spidey senses, no doubt about that. Yep. You searched Tits Ballarat East home and how would you describe it, Buddha? Well, I wasn't there, of course. That's, this all occurred overnight, during the night. But uh, from the people who were there, the house itself was unremarkable. The, the chap who owned the house was a, was a normal, upstanding citizen. But he'd rented this room in his house to this, to this character. And he knew his name. He, he said, oh, that'll be Mr Pitt. You know, that's who you're looking for. He's not here at the moment. And that's his room up there sort of thing. And uh, the detectives then entered his room, which was locked, the door was locked. And they went into the room and there were things in the room that obviously heightened, you know. So we're talking about a series of steps here. First step is this isn't quite right. Second step is the card and the phone number. Third step is uh, game on, it's game day. This is serious now. There were, you know, items in the in the room that were not normal, but certainly were in character with a, with a person of his character and history. Um, and I think everybody then said, yeah, this is very serious. We need to find this girl as quickly as we can. So the items were photographs? Were there other specific items that led you to thinking this person is someone of interest? Yeah, absolutely. There were, there were weird things. You know, stuff normal people don't have in their room and don't try to make and so on. Yeah, it just wasn't right, you know. It's NQR. It's like the script, and I've described it many times since, it's like a script of a movie. <laughs> it's, yeah, really. It, if you're going to write a movie about this sort of thing, that's what you'd have in it. And, and this was real life. What led you to the mine, Buddha? I know that DELP were involved, or now they're called DELP, but in those days, a different acronym. What led you to that mine? Right, well, the owner of the house, and again, this is in the middle of the night. This is sort of working its way now towards 6am or 6.30 in the morning. The owner of the house, they sat him down, obviously, and interviewed him, had a chat to him about Pitt and about what he was like and what his movements were. And he said, oh, look, he's always out exploring you know he's looking around and looking for things and he came in one day and he said to me you wouldn't have a padlock would you i could borrow and he said what do you want a padlock for and he said well i found this old mine and it's locked up i can lock it up and i want to mine it i want to dig in there for gold i want to find gold and i don't want people going in there and stealing me gold so i want to lock it up so that no one can get in there. And of course, you know, as soon as that information was made available to the police, we, we knew we were looking for somewhere that was capable of being locked up and capable of preventing people going into it if it was locked up. And I think he said that this mine was up in the Black Hill area. Like we had a reasonably tight, you know, it was getting smaller and smaller, the area that we were concerned with. And I believe he said, that, you know, that he mentioned in conversation to the owner of the house that it was in the Black Hill area, that it was able to be locked up 
and that he wanted to lock it up to protect it so that no one got in there and got his gold. And yeah. Did that set off alarm bells for you? Well, absolutely, for everyone. Um, so, yeah, we know we're dealing with, a, again, with a, an area that can be locked up. Like, if he believed that he could keep people out from stealing his gold, clearly it was secure enough that it would hold someone in. So, you know, for obvious reasons, it, it drew... You know, we go up another step, if you like, at that point. And we're getting towards dawn by now. So I turned up at work at about 6.30 and the police station's full of people, full of detectives and the night shift. And the place is a buzz, you know, it's alive. Um, and we, I recall getting in... So I was briefed by the night shift sergeant and part of the conversation was around, you know, we think we've narrowed it down to we're looking for a, some sort of mine, some sort of hole or space that can be locked up. He's got a padlock, so, you know, we believe he's used the padlock on it and it's in the Black Hill area. And one of the... So we're mulling over this, you know, right where do we go from here? Do we just go up there and... Because, you know, I knew and others knew that there were old mines, historic mines in the Black Hill area, and I, I knew roughly where to go. And I believe we probably would have come across it at some time during the day anyway, because this area, you know, these mines are in this area and it's pretty defined space, you know, and I think if we had done a methodical line search, we probably would have come across it. But um, someone suggested that we ring DNRE, as they were then, that was three name changes ago, now DELP, and they have a mine, a mine department, if you like, or a mine section that deals with historic mines and the maintenance and safety of those mines. And we spoke to the duty person and he knew straight away, he said, I, I can take you straight there because we welded a cage up two weeks ago and we've put our, we've got a padlock on it to protect it from the public. It's dangerous and to protect the public, we've welded this grate, this, this cage. And he said, and I can take you straight there because there's only one. That's the only one we've done up there. So away we went. Buddha, this is an extraordinary story. We're going to continue this in the second sitting on the Crime Couch. So thank you very much for sitting with me today on the Crime Couch, Buddha. You're welcome. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Catch. Thank you.